0: Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast.
1: Welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are going inside the episode titled, The Ghosts of Our Past. Mm. Yes, I feel like this is a retelling of Dickens' as a Christmas Carol.
0: Yeah, it's a you Dickens know, it's, pattern.
1: It's very, it's a Dickens pattern. I'm going a perfect. Dickens pattern. I'll put, yeah. my,
0: I'll put my Dickens hat on over here there that we've go. got on the shelf.
1: The Ghosts of Our Past. Catchy title and very timely with Christmas right around the corner knocking on our it door. It is Timely. Yeah. Have it's not naughty, Scroogey, naughty though. Nice.
0: It's not Scroogey. We didn't do any Scroogey in no, it. No, we didn't. Naughty but it's how nice. to deal with some Scroogey. Are you naughty or nice? What's that? Are you naughty or it nice? It depends on who I'm in the room
1: with. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, this episode, The Ghosts of Our Past, um, had everything in it. Like, I mean, you started off and had wildlife avoiding its cruel end. It had a Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom reference with yes. shout out to Marlon Perkins. I Marlin. used to watch those as a kid. Uh, talked about suppressed temper tantrums, which led to road rage. And you even slapped the tables a few times emphatically. So yes. where do we start with breaking down this episode? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well, I will say this. I feel like the underlying theme for this episode is happiness and how it's inevitably a choice. Would it, you
0: agree with that? It, well, so that's a good question. It's a choice, but it really isn't. If you don't know how to be happy, because happiness itself is an awareness. So that's why that's why I started it off with our little nature adventure there, and uh, the direction of Marlon Perkins. The um, the idea is basically this: that nature is in this state of acceptance all the time, and it does have to deal with things like in the in the in the episode, you've got the the cat that's running away from the coyote. Um, and it's that's in survival mode, right? So the cat's in survival mode. It's gonna it's going balls out to survive. That's the whole idea. The coyote's hungry, it's in survival mode. It wants to eat the cat, right? But when that's over, they go back to doing whatever the hell they were doing before. You know, I don't know what the coyote was doing. He was probably looking for a cat or something. And the cat went back to hunt. So he went from he went from hunted to hunter. He was stalking mice in the middle of this in the middle of this field. But what's great about this is that the cat did not have to go for 15 years of psychotherapy after it was chased by the coyote. You put a human being in that scenario, you may have a trauma that 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 person never gets over in their whole life. You know, well, think about it. You know, somebody gets mugged, they get raped, they get robbed, they they get assaulted in some way, and you hear about how they deal with this trauma for the rest of their life, and When I first started to learn this, I I learned that this principle, we actually don't want to hang on to those things, right? The higher side of ourself does not want to hang on to those things, even from a physiological level, we don't want to hang on to it.
1: So our natural state, you're saying, is that we want to just shed that and not carry it around. Exactly. Like Sort of like nature. So in a natural state,
0: yep. that's how we should be. Yeah. Well, you have kids. Do you remember when they were really little before you started really getting involved in giving them direction and they would throw a tantrum? Oh, 100%. And when it was over, what
1: happened? They just went right back to playing with a toy, or just it was like like, nothing ever happened. happened. Nothing. And me reassessing it was like, God, why are they like that? And then I would ruminate on it for hours. and They just moved on about whatever it was.
0: Exactly. And here, but here's the thing though that's your conditioning. There was a time when you were little like that that you would throw a tantrum, and then afterwards it was over. You know, whether you got a fight and maybe your brother hits you in the head with a a, uh, fire truck or something when you were a kid, You you know, and then it's over. And it's, it's done. It's just forgotten. You guys are best buddies again. Yeah. What happens is that the parents then have to start directing the children because it's like, okay, it's interesting the first few times it happens, and then it's happening when mom's on a phone call or dad's on a phone call or it's during dinner or now we're at the mall or we're at grandma's house and everybody's looking at my kid in the of middle us? of the floor. So we start projecting shame and guilt onto these kids and making them wrong for doing something that is physiologically and spiritually natural to release. And we develop a pattern that says, don't let it go. Because feeling it is more painful than dealing with it. Sure. The shame, right? Yeah. And that becomes the new norm. Now, that happens when we're really little. I mean, that starts when we're really little. And by the time we're adults... We're we've moved into this, we've moved in, think about this as you went through your life. When did you start to become very aware of peer pressure?
1: Um, For me, it was, for me, it was in, I really started to recognize it at the latter part of elementary school into middle school. Middle school was the worst.
0: Yep, yep, Oh, it was the
1: worst. That's what it is for most people. What you wear, how you look, your hair, your face, your clothes, whatever it might be, it was middle school. Okay, so
0: think about that. We start to develop consciousness about the age of seven. So we start to become really kind of fully aware of ourselves just as we're about entering puberty. Sure. And then we're self-conscious. We're hyper-aware of everybody else. We become aware of our body changing. So now it's not the body that we knew, but it's a body that's changing. Plus, we've got some hormones starting to kick in. And we've carried along this piece that says, don't do that. Don't you raise your voice to me. Don't you throw a tantrum. Don't cry. Boys, don't cry, right? Little girls, you keep their mouths shut. Whatever, whatever you heard, okay, what it does is it shuts down the emotional, our natural emotional expression, but it's not just shutting it down. It's pushing it down, right? We're pushing it down inside of our, con- our subconscious mind. We're taking all that energy and we're shoving it down because we don't want to experience it. Well, where does that go? that goes into overeating, drinking, drugging, uh, uh, crazy sex, uh, road rage, spousal abuse, child abuse, all kinds of crazy stuff, right? We know where this stuff goes. We've known for almost 100 years where this stuff goes but no but hardly anybody talks about how not to get there to begin with it's always like well now you got to go to rehab now you got to go on a psychiatrist's couch now you got to hire a coach now you got to do all this stuff to figure out what you naturally knew how to do when you were born
1: so you're unlearning
0: you have to unlearn is exactly right you have to you have to re-separate in your mind the part of you that is experiencing this from the person that is experiencing this. So that's like I said, think, think about a dream, okay? True. When you have a dream, you get up and you tell Steph, oh, Steph, I had this fucked up dream, right? Yeah. Who had the dream? I had the dream. Right. But who's observing the dream?
1: I observe the dream.
0: Right. But who are you observing in the dream?
1: Myself having the dream.
0: Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird? It is weird. It is so weird how do because you-, you don't tell Steph – as the participant in the dream, you tell Steph, here's what I did in this dream. And it was me. Or here's what happened to me in this dream, right? So it's not coming from the first person.
1: Yeah. Yeah, observing the observer, which is me. It's, yeah. so, it's so crazy. And in the dreamlike state, it's one thing to do it. In the real world, I find myself having a struggle with observing myself doing something because here's, here's where I struggle. I react. I before I think. So the big thing that I've learned in, in my therapy, which is really interesting, cause this fits right in line with with my DBT training that I've gone through the last couple of years, is that you need to stop in the moment and say, you know, isn't that interesting? That was one of the tools. Like yeah. to be able to take the emotional charge out of it, I have to be able to say, isn't that interesting? I'm not always good at that in the moment. I've My my refractory period has gotten much less. I used to ruminate it for days and days and days before I did anything about it. But for now, it's in that moment, I don't always think before I speak and it gets me into trouble. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is you need to observe it. You need to step outside of it in that moment, almost with the snap of a finger in that moment and say, isn't this interesting? And observe what comes up for you. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's,
0: it's, yeah. What, what comes up for you and also what you're witnessing, right? Because it's always that you're witnessing something, even if it's, even if something triggered you and you're having an internal experience, what was the thing? You know, what was that, what was that, that thing that, that, that triggered you? So the, um, you're, yeah, the idea is that you get to become the observer because as the observer, you can move to a place of non judgment. You can't if you're the reactor.
1: Right.
0: If you're the reactor, you're so in it, you can't see anything else, and your only option is whatever your programming is. Yeah. There is no other option.
1: Sure. You know what's interesting about this is I'm defaulting to the negative aspects of this. Like, I'm defaulting to the triggers you just spoke of. You can observe yourself doing positive things and the positive feelings of emotion and the love that comes in. Yes. Is that correct? So it's, it's so funny that my mind immediately goes to all the things that went wrong versus think of all those wonderful moments where we call them bursts of love. Mm-hmm. Steph has these bursts of love sometimes. Well, she'll just, she'll just want to hug anybody in sight, right? And for me, being that emotionally closed off individual who's working on being more open and vulnerable, um, it's hard for me to see that. But at the same time, that burst of love is something you can say, isn't this interesting? think about why I'm feeling this right now this love and this season gets me like I love Christmas I love the holidays I love everything about it the yeah. music the food the fellowship everything and I want to stay in that place all year long and I could because it is a choice but you're also saying it's an awareness that you have to get to in order to do that to yeah, move forward
0: it is because this because the moment that we go unconscious we get sucked in we while well, we suffer the illusion right um It's basically like this. I hallucinate that this is happening to me. I hallucinate somebody yelled at me. I hallucinate I did something wrong. I hallucinate I had a fight with my wife because I'm not in my consciousness. I'm hallucinating that this is what's actually happening to me when actually it's something that I'm observing happen. So is it the guy in the dream that's experiencing it or is the guy observing the dream? Which one are you going to be? The true self is the guy that's observing the dream, right? Mm. Because if you think about it, who is this person in us that can do that, right? Like right now, I have to be aware of not only me having this conversation with you, but me as the observer of the dream and me in the dream. Man, doesn't that make right? your head just swim? <laughs> well, it does at first because your mind, your, your mind wants to hold on to what's safe. Right. Like, wait, sure. just forget all that. What keeps me safe? But once you start to experience it from the place of, oh, there's nothing really going to happen here, right? Like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And truthfully, even if it's horrific, I actually don't have any control over it. If somebody's going to die in this situation, they're going to die, right? If somebody's going to get sick, they're going to get sick. Here, here's one that's hard for people. If somebody's going to leave, they're going to leave right? We will lose our fucking minds over trying to keep somebody with us, and they don't want to go. And you know in your heart of hearts they're going to go, right? But you'll resist it with everything. Why? Because you don't want to have to feel the experience of them leaving. Mm-hmm. Pain. Yeah, right? Pain. So you, what are you doing in the moment? You hallucinate that your feeling of well-being is because of being interconnected with them. It's all hallucination. Yeah. It's 100% a hallucination. When you stand out of it, not only do you break the hallucination, but you break the addiction. And the addiction is to the feeling or the non-feeling of the moment, whatever it might be. And you, yes, you have to work on it. Like, I've been working on it for a long mm-hmm. time. And you know me. There's not many times where I get sucked back no. in. But on occasion, it'll happen, you know. And, I, and I'm and i like you. Refractory period's very short these sure. days but it still happens because if there's too much going on at one time, you can get sucked into this identity very quickly, right? Where you're not actually conscious of the observation of what you're doing. You're just in the doing of what you're doing, right? But with, with animals, they don't. They, they, if, you th- if you think about it like this, another what I mean is that they don't hold on to it. So the cat... We'll move into I have to be a cat running away and are 100% in the cat running away as long as that needs to happen for them to get safe, but as mm-hmm. soon as if it's done, it's over. So the difference is the cat can let it go and go back to do its stuff. Human beings don't.
1: Right.
0: We're taught not to let it go, so we don't want to feel it. We suppress it when the natural side of ourselves wants to go. Why do you think we seek, think about this, why do you think we seek alcohol, drugs, sex, movies, uh, any kind of escapism because it takes us back to a place of feeling good.
1: Totally. It's numb. It's numbing. It's dulling. It's dulling your senses. It's dulling your higher self. It, it is, but think about it.
0: It's allowing you for, m- for the moment not to experience the pain, which is actually what we want to get back to is not experiencing the pain, but we, we're afraid to go through the pain to get to that natural state to begin with because... The, the place of peace, love, and joy is our natural state, right? Like if you think about in the, what Christ said, by their fruits, you'll know them. What are the fruits? Th- that's what the fruits are, peace, love, joy, happiness, gratefulness. In order to get back to that state on a regular basis, you have to be willing to let go of the pain, which means you have to experience the pain, but you have to release it. So you experience it, it moves. You experience it, and it moves. The real pain of pain is the judgment of pain. Mm-hmm. There's a natural state of pain that everybody feels. But when human beings started putting shame and guilt on the experience of pain, it was like nail in a coffin, right? Sure. Because that is more painful than the actual pain.
1: Yeah. You know, for me, it's the judgment. It's the judgment that I hold. I punish myself over and over and over again for doing something that was really out of line. Whereas in nature, they just let it go. I will ruminate on it. And, you know, one of the things that I struggle with, and I've said on this podcast before is, you know, the the two most difficult things for me to say are, I love you and I'm sorry. And I think that that in itself is an indication that I have an awareness that I know I need to get to, but I still struggle mightily with it. And I will judge myself. And if I don't get from you know, dawn to dusk without doing something wrong um, or doing, you know, doing something that I have to work on, then I feel like I've totally lost my way. I'm currently, you know, going through the program you're doing, um, the the 1090 program with you. And one of the, th- the questions you ask is, what do I need to forgive myself for yesterday? And I struggle sometimes um, with not having anything to forgive. And, but I know that I do, I, because I, I pile on. Um, I think that that is, is a ghost in my past for sure. And I'm sure a lot of people out there probably feel the same way. It's just really interesting when you start thinking about, you know, separating yourself from that and judging it, because really what you're doing is you're just, you're making the, the, the problem worse for yourself when you just constantly can't let it go. You should let it go. Yeah. Right. How, but I guess how? <laughs> like, I mean, I know you've given us tools to do that, but is there any other uh, quick fix? It, it so loses a lot of time.
0: the letting go is, is either the, the not judging to begin with or the removal of the judgment. So it's acceptance. Th- w- that's a great question though. How do we let something go? We accept it. It just is. Just it is. just is. It, take your, take your judgment off of it. The only reason that I judge something is because I give it, I want to give it meaning so I can control my experience. That's control. it.
1: Contr- yeah. Well, it makes sense because I'm an overcontrolled person, so I want to control the experience. Right. So.
0: And and my observation of you over the years is that you will give something meaning and then you won't change the meaning. Like, you've oh, told right. me, like, how you've dealt with people in your past. Not so much today, but in your past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, once you give it meaning, that's it. You know? If, like, say a relationship ends, you've told me many times, it's, it's like, it's over. You won't Deadly. change your meaning of that, right? Yeah. It's just, it's, that's, that becomes an absolute for you. It's true. But you know what to do with that meaning. When it's ambiguous, you don't know what to do with it. And you don't like being in that place. Mm. So you have to give it a hard meaning, then you can put it in the file cabinet in your mind, close the drawer, you know how to deal with that.
1: Yeah, stuff it in the vault. Suppression, suppression, suppression. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really quite interesting. I know that one of the things that I, I wanted to share, and I kind of asked you about this today, was um, it brought me back to when I first read The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And he shared a quote. And you actually went through this quote in more in-depth way back in Episode 7, uh, where you did a book review of The Untethered Soul Jesus, back in time, April yeah. of 2018. To this day, it's it's still the most downloaded episode we've ever had. Is that and it right? continues to yeah. get downloads to this day. It's such a good book. It is. And I would encourage people to go back and I'll link to it in the show notes here, but the untethered soul, there's this rather long quote and, and apologies if it is a little bit too long, but I want to talk a little bit about it because it brings in, really encompasses a lot about what you talked about in this episode. Uh, Michael Singer writes, if you want to be happy, you have to let go of the part of you that wants to create melodrama. This is the part that thinks there's a reason not to be happy. You have to transcend the, Personal, and as you do, you will naturally awaken to the higher aspects of your being. In the end, enjoying life's experiences is the only rational thing to do. You're sitting on a planet spinning around in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Go ahead, take a look at reality. You're floating in empty space in a universe that goes on forever. If you have to be here, at least be happy and enjoy the experience. You're going to die anyway, things are going to happen anyway. Why shouldn't you be happy? You gain nothing by being bothered by life's events. It doesn't change the world. You just suffer. There's always going to be something that can bother you if you let it. Yeah. That is so powerful because it talks about creating drama. It talks about uh, the suffering. It talks about we're all heading to the same destination. Yeah. And, you know, I hear people say that happiness is a choice, and then you said something even better. Happiness is an awareness. It's a state of being. It yeah. is who you are. I just thought that that Michael Singer quote encompasses so much. It's fantastic. It's very true.
0: I love it. He's 100% right. And, you know, the, the part of the answer to why don't we want to be happy is... How many times can you remember in your childhood when it wasn't okay to be happy, either either overtly communicated or covertly communicated? How, how was it when it was not okay to be happy? So here's the thing: in my house, my mother ruled the anger, right? So nobody could be more angry than her. I don't care what happened to you; you could she could you could never justify being angry because she had the biggest ghost in her closet, right? Or the biggest p- problem in her past. However, but because of that, if she was angry, you couldn't be happy. Mm. How dare you right. be happy, right? Match me. Exactly, right. right? You you should feel sorry for me, right. right? You you should be anything but happy. So it was not okay. and And in my house, Brandon, when I was a kid, so you know the story. At four years old, my uncle dies in a fire, both my cousins, okay? From that moment on, I live with my mom, my dad, my grandmother, and my grandfather until I am 13 and my parents get divorced. And then my grandmother was was still around us on and off until she passed away when I became a young adult. But here was the thing. Nobody was ever really happy after that happened. And it was various states of being. There was ha- there was some happy, right? But most of the time, there was always some kind of drama. And it just wasn't okay to be happy. What do you do when you're happy? You engage. You ask for things. You want to do things. You want to play. None of that would happen because my mother was not happy, right? Right. Um, it, it, like the 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 like the number one word in her vocabulary was no right and I laugh about it because I don't know how the hell I got here right. with her with that word in that vocabulary right. you know because you're not a no guy no I'm, I'm not a you're no you are a guy. whole lot of yeses I'm a whole lot of yeses <laughs> but my mother was all about no and it was how she controlled her world so if you're happy, it's like, can I go out? Can I play? Can I go with my friends? Can I do this? Can I do that? No, no, no. Well, what are you doing? She's basically saying you can't be happy. Right. At least, and at, at the like, if I just accept full responsibility for that part, at least that's how it's associated, right? Because my whole goddamn world is being shut down, and the truth is, is that most of my childhood I spent grounded in my room. Mm. The majority of the time, even my father will say that that's 100% true because they did not know how to deal with the problems that I was having as a kid. I was not good in school. I wouldn't do my homework. I didn't study. Nobody recognized that I had other gifts and, and helped me bring those to the surface. Their whole answer was, I don't want to have to deal with him. Put him in his room. You go study, right? So I could come out for dinner. I could come out for breakfast. I'd come out to go to school. If we had to go somewhere, I could go with, but I couldn't do anything. I'd have to sit on the couch. Like, this is how they dealt with me as a child, you know? Um, And somehow
1: you overcame all of that to get to this place where you're at today. Well,
0: see, what happened was when my parents got divorced— my father was no longer around because he was living in Arizona. So I didn't have that masculine discipline there, right? I think I would have turned out very different if my dad had been in my life through my teenage years. He was there on the phone, but outside of that, no. So you couldn't really see what anything sure. that I was doing. My mother was gone. Like she was out partying for three years after my parents got divorced. I had all this responsibility. It was my job to run the house, clean the house, get the food, wash the dishes, make the dinner, do all that, take care of my brother. Um, But by the time she came back in, when she got married, when I was 16, 17, I was done. Like, I'm already a man at that point, Yeah, your independence took over. I'm independence. And then it was like, my biggest value at that time was freedom. So I was out. I mean, we got in shortly after they got married. We moved to a different house. I was dating somebody my mother didn't approve of. She made tried to make my life hell with that relationship. And we got in a huge blow up when I was 17 and I left and I moved out and I didn't go back. And so then it was, go. now I'm on my journey. Now I'm really on my journey, right? Which is a completely different story. But through that process, it literally went from locked in, locked in, locked in until I found like the squeaky little exit sign where I got out. And the exit sign was my parents got divorced because now my mother wasn't there to keep me in my room. Right. She couldn't deal with, she could not deal with the divorce. She could, because she never dealt with the death of her brother. She couldn't deal with me and my brother because we're becoming independent. We're boys. My mother was afraid of male energy. Um, she, she was domineering as fuck. So anything that she had to do, it was, it was, there was no in between. Right. It was, um, it was an all-or-nothing situation, and most often at of the time, it was it was nothing. So the the even though it was incredibly painful at the time, me being able to start to get away at thirteen and literally be able to hide what I was doing, and not all of it was good. That's where I started to find my independence yeah, and my freedom. A, the
1: gift. There was a gift.
0: Yeah. So oh, yes. I got to start thinking differently, and I got to have different experiences that I would never tell her about or engage with her in it or anything.
1: Yeah. And you very easily could have turned out looking at it from a victim mentality standpoint and said, I had to grow up too soon. I was forced to be an adult way before my time and I wasn't ready and blame you, blame you, blame you. You rather embraced that opportunity to grow. And by the time, 17 happened, you were able to basically detach the hooks or whatever your mom was holding into and you forged your own independence. That's pretty powerful. I would be curious, you know, to bring Dickens back into the fold here, you know, to go visit the ghosts of Christmas past and look and see, was there ever a time, there had to have been a time when your mom wasn't that person, when she was happy, when she was joyous, when she was, I mean, and you were way too young when that tragedy happened to be able to see it, but I often do the same thing, because there was a time, I'm sure, when my dad was a little boy who was a happy, happy young kid, and then something happened. Right. I'd love to see that moment, because he, Clearly is not happy. To this day is not happy. Just reeks of just just negative, angry energy. Even though he tries very hard, he doesn't try hard enough, in my opinion. But he has passed that on to me, and I have that. I'm quick to trigger, so I've gone come a long ways. But I still have that zero to sixty mentality. So I would love to go back and see a time. You know, you walked me through a visualization where you get to meet you know, your, your dad or your mom when they're kids, such a powerful, powerful exercise. And to be able to see them knowing that at one point in time, they were just kids like you were and to give them the love that they deserve because they were just a scared little boy or a scared little girl at that time. It's just so powerful.
0: Yeah. I, you know, there are times I remember when my mother was happy, but one of the things that I also learned about her having a cluster B disorder is that everything's manipulation. So even though there was probably very few glimpses of really true happiness there, I think there were things that would that my mother would go into her own hypnosis where she could feel like she was being happy. But even then, it was used to manipulate to get what she wanted. So um, there was a period of time after I got married and I had children where my mother seemed very happy but i i was it it was years later after she died that i found out that she actually wasn't and she was really abusing my brother So, and my brother never said to me anything in those days, right, so I didn't know that that was going on. He had a whole thing going on with his personal family, and I was, you know, we didn't even live next to, close to each other at the time, so and I was busy getting on with my life, and it's not that like we we didn't, there wasn't anything wrong between us, we just didn't have a close relationship in those years. So, um, but yeah, I found out afterwards that that she was even snowing everybody the idea that she was acting happy in these certain situations, But she really wasn't because she was being really, really mean to other people. Sure.
1: Sure. Well, I, I loved this this episode as we wind this down, and I love that you did share a few of those tools, you know, stopping, observing, you observing, yeah. and asking questions. Oh, yeah. Questions, it's
0: so powerful Isn't to this you.
1: interesting? And then, of course, ask yourself, what's the truth in this? And then stay in that question to allow that higher self to come through. Those are powerful, and I'd encourage people to go back and listen.
0: I think the biggest thing, though, that you could do with your dad is just accept him for who he is. You
1: know what? I have really made a lot of gains in that, and it, it's hard. It's less hard or less difficult to be around him now, knowing yeah. that. I know what I'm getting now I accept it because we we want to project this era of you could we can fix them right we right. want to fix things and I'm I'm over that
0: yeah you want to get past that yes. if you I'll bet you something let's watch this over the next few years mm-hmm. the more if you can move more and more into acceptance of him I'll bet you you'll be able to figure out what happened to him yeah you'll yeah. see it you can't see it from your own pain but if you transcend that pain you'll recognize what it is. Because you see it, I see you see it, you recognize it in clients that we have, mm-hmm. in events. You, We've had conversations, you sure. know, you can see it. So I know you have the insight to see it. You just have to get a little more distance from it. You'll know, be the observer. Yes, And you'll see it. And I think the day that you see it, I think, a lot Everything's well, going to change
1: for you. Yeah, I always envision, it's so funny, whenever you talk about observing me, observing myself, I feel like, you know, those near-death experiences where the body <laughs> floats yeah. above and you're yeah. looking down and all these things. It's, it's so interesting. This episode was full of ghosts. But now that we find ourselves a few days away from Christmas, knowing that not everyone's embracing happiness considering the uncertainty that the, this year has brought with it, um, do you have any special message or words of advice to help any unhappy people out there get on the path to choosing, Happiness for themselves.
0: Yeah, you know, I, and we were talking about this in the in our morning groups um, uh, that we're working with people. It's it's really interesting uh, what's going on in our world right now because of technology and because of how technology is misused. People would have the if you look into anything, it appears that the world is burning down around us. And while there is a lot of negativity and pain and suffering out there, it's not all of that. It really takes a conscious effort to find something um, that is good that's happening. But I guarantee you those things that are good that are that are actually happening out there. I, my advice is always to think about how can we be a contribution to somebody else's life. I know people are stuck in the house this year. Um, there's some people are it's a blessing and a curse for everybody some people are with their family and they just would love to get the fuck away but they but they can't some people are missing their family terribly because they haven't been able to be be with them since March ask yourself take somebody and say how can I contribute don't look to get anything back just look to give because it's in our giving that we separate ourselves from when we're trying to get we're in need you know we're in need when you just give from your soul, that's, that's a place of peace, love, and joy. I mean, that's what that's, the great teachers have always taught us.
1: That's the perfect way to end. And I'm going to close out with one of your favorite quotes, and it's by Joyce Meyer, which was also mentioned in the previous podcast. One of the greatest lessons I've learned is that you can't be both selfish and happy. The truth is you can't be happy if the center of your life is you. Be determined each day to do at least one thing for someone else that makes their life better. Give a compliment. Give something away. Take the time to listen. Open a door for someone. Let someone go before you in line at the store. Just give. Beautiful. It's so freaking beautiful. beautiful. Well, I'm going to take this time to say on behalf of David and myself here at the Successful Mind Podcast, we wish you peace and love and joy during this season. And um, I so love you, David. Thank you so much. I love you too, brother. All right. We'll see you next time on the Successful Mind Podcast. Thanks for coming inside.
0: Yeah. (laughs)